0: Trigger warning. High functioning directly deals with the realities of mental illness and mental health issues. As a result, some listeners may find this content triggering. We encourage listeners to tune in and out in a way that feels safe for them and seek support if they need. If you are in crisis, please call 911 or visit your nearest hospital. If you're in Canada, you can also call Crisis Services Canada at 1-833-456-4566. Or text 741741. This episode contains candid discussions of depression, anxiety, suicide, privilege, dissociation, ADHD, professional and personal support systems, medication, therapy, and the struggles we've had coping with mental illness. Hey, I'm Britt. And I'm
1: Amira. And this is High Functioning a podcast about people who struggle with mental illness while still maintaining seemingly productive and successful lives.
0: Right. We're basically trying to be as millennial as possible by starting our own podcast. And after this, we're actually going to go grab some avocado toast. And we're not buying a house, to be clear.
1: (laughs) Because of the avocado toast. Jokes, we're in quarantine. Okay, we're recording.
0: Yeah.
1: How very exciting. We're here, recording again, but we're not where we were before, because no one is where they were before, No, things
0: things look really different, but we have our own recording equipment now, which is fantastic. We don't need the studio, which is kind of cool. We're on no one's time except ours, because we're professional now. Which is probably bad, because you're terrible at time management. (laughs)
1: <laughs> it is nicer I will say this morning I was like oh yeah I can take my time I have nowhere to be and then I was like no I have to respect Amira's time I've already canceled so many times let's just do this but I, and that makes it sound like I was dreading it I'm not I'm actually super excited we both talked about this but with quarantine and lockdown and all that this feels kind of like self-care which is interesting yeah I think for me, I've just been doing like schoolwork and work work. And I sit in the same place all day. And I don't get to be that social. So getting to talk to you, which already is one of my fave things to do about topics that, you know, are both good and exciting and scary. And we'll we'll touch on that after. But it's just kind of like a breath of fresh air. It makes me feel like there is some, you know, variety to my day. And it makes me laugh and I think it'll be good. I think it, this is good for us and hopefully good for whoever's listening too. What do you think?
0: Yeah, um, I mean I've, I've always felt like this project is so much more for us than it is for anyone else but I'm excited to share more. I feel like we've both grown a lot since a year ago and so it's kind of cool that we do these concentrated recording time periods where we're, we're going to basically record an entire season in an extremely short amount of time. Um, but we release it, you know, once a year or whatever. So I'm hoping that as this art continues, you can kind of see that progression of healing and learning and evolving. Um, because I don't think we're, I mean, we're, we're the same people, but I think we've both changed in significant ways. Mm -hmm. Um, I also think it's a cool way to, um, not get back into sharing things about my mental health because I happen and and I went through a bit of a period uh, at the beginning of quarantine where I completely had writer's block, which doesn't happen to me often. I'm a writer. So I'm, I always have something to say. Um, and then, you know, I had a patch where I had, I was able to, to get a few pieces published. Um, which are
1: so good. If anyone does eight. not read Amira's mighty articles, like, you are missing out. Go read them. They're easy, easy to digest. They give comparisons and analogies that anyone, maybe I'm speaking from a biased point of view, but I genuinely (laughs) believe that anyone can use these analogies to make sense of mental health. And that's hard. Making sense of mental health is something we've been doing our whole lives. So the fact that you go out and share your analogies and how you've made sense of it is so freaking cool. Everyone should be checking it out. But yes, you got
0: over your writer's block to some degree, shared some mighty articles. And yeah, and now I think this is the next step of sharing. Um, I also think that both of us in the past year have started thinking about mental health as beyond just, you know, a a diagnosis or a health condition and and considering more of like the societal factors that really contribute to this. So I, I think there's been a huge, um, racial reckoning almost or at least i hope there has been and we both i think uh dealt with that in different ways and struggled in different ways um me confronting racism i've experienced but also what role i play as a south asian person in oppressing predominantly black folks um and I, I think for you as well, I mean, I don't want to speak for you, but also just confronting your whiteness and, and things like that.
1: 100%. I think we, we did our racism episode and we, we talked about how, um, or what did we call it? Was it a racism We did it on episode? Privilege. So I don't, I don't privilege. know if we fully,
0: we, we touched on racism, but I don't think we really got into like racism because it's a, a lot. It's a huge, yes. Yeah.
1: And I just remember the biggest takeaway for me in our discussion on privilege was how we kind of see mental health as this like individual thing. But like kind of what, we're, what you just mentioned is that it is so society driven as well. And that's why individuals who are more marginalized or experience, you know, a variety of different identities will have vastly different experiences with mental health. And that's beyond their control. And it kind of Screws with this idea of no mental health is an illness and we can like fix it all on our own, which we can't. And you know, there's a reason already you need people, but it's a whole other level when it comes to our privileges and marginalization and, and how so- society needs to change in order to really make fundamental change in the mental health of folks who are struggling. I think that was like a big takeaway from our privilege discussion, but I think we really lived it with the. Uh, reckoning, as you have called it, which I hope that's what it is as well, because the impact that it had on us was really different. Um, And the feelings that we had from it, you know, I think it's safe to say that hopefully, every white person felt some feelings about it. I know I definitely did. But it wasn't you know for lack of better words like it wasn't life-shattering like it didn't affect my mental health in the way that it would have affected you and i and i saw that yeah and that was an awakening in itself too to just really see the impact that's beyond our self-care strategies beyond our therapy and you've written about this as well of you know wanting a therapist that understands your racial identity um and how important that is to your healing and and to your growth but we really saw it played out in front of us where everyone was struggling. We're all in quarantine. We're all feeling like shit. But for white folks, you know, our struggle is is different and not the same. And for anyone who tried to go out there, and th- that was a problem too, is a lot of white folks were going out there and saying, oh, I get it. And I'm sad for you. And I'm crying. And, you know, those feelings are valid in the sense that it is a heavy thing and we can all feel a lot of emotions around it. But the actual mental health impact, the like, the struggle it's just, it's so not the same. And we saw it right in front of us uh, for a very long period of time. And it was really hard.
0: Yeah, I think for me personally, there was a shift between self and community. You know, I always thought my anxiety, my depression, my thing to deal with my thing to address, and no one can can do it for me. And it was, what is my self care? And what does that look like? And I realized that it's not me. Like, I'm not crazy for being hypervigilant about things like police interactions or, or what have you, because I haven't had great police interactions. I'm not crazy for, you know, being very attuned to microaggressions at work or being treated differently from my white male peers. Um, that doesn't have to do with my, I mean, it does have to do with my mental illness, but that's not my mental illness speaking. That's, that's reality. And Seeing uh, also just a stark difference in realities between myself and my friends um, was hard. And I had to do some work about who are the people I'm surrounding myself with in my life and what do they care about and how do they care about me? Because are, are they seeing me as I fully am? And when we talk about things like being your whole self or being authentic, um, can I do that with some of the people in my life. And it, uh, yeah, I, I think in general, we focus a lot on self care versus community care. And I think there needs to be more of a shift towards us taking care of each other. You know, of course, asserting boundaries and, and what have you. And we've talked about that before, but making space for. Like in, in healthy ways, sacrificing for each other and yeah. showing up for each other and respecting one another. Uh, I think one of the upsides and downsides of quarantine is that we are very in ourselves. So we can, uh, we can connect with ourselves more and think about ourselves more, but we're also becoming a bit more insular, a bit more selfish. I need a lot and I can't give a lot. Which is fair in a lot of ways, but I think it's just something we need to be mindful of um, as as we get into you know considering what is the impact of this on our mental health. Mm-hmm.
1: I think one thing we talked a lot about um, during the peak of the racial reckoning <laughs> um, was this idea of taking a break from it, and I and I saw a lot of you know, content on the internet that actually asked people, you know, take your self care breaks and, and do all that. And you've know, talked about this before, and I'm sure
0: people have heard this before, but it's a privilege to be able to take breaks. Yeah. Black people don't get to take breaks. Indigenous okay. people don't get to take breaks. It is their life. And I think we need to be creating space for those people to experience their joy and take their breaks. We need to be the one saying, you rest and I will support you and, and, you know, I'll fight with you. Um, Exactly. Because for too long, the burden of unraveling marginalization has fallen on the most marginalized people. Yep. I I love the way that you put that. It's about community care. And
1: I think that's a big thing that we learned. It's that self-care is really important. But community care is equally as important. And what are we doing to love thy neighbor um, and create that space so that everyone can be their full selves and be their authentic selves and do all those things. You know, it's kind of, this might be a weird analogy, but I think about, you know, when I was in the depths of uh, my last really depressive period and I decided to go on medication, I couldn't even do my self care strategies. Everyone Mm -hmm. was like, Take your vitamins, go work out, blah, blah, blah. That wasn't happening. I couldn't even get out of bed. And I needed those meds to get me to a place where I could actually rest and I could actually do the self-care strategies. And I see that having this parallel with community care is where we're, we're telling marginalized folks, just rest, you know, take the time, self-care, go take a bath, whatever it is. And I'm sure that helps to some degree if like, you know, teach their own, but we're not actually creating that space. We're not giving them that breath so that they can go into that self care fully and actually get the benefit from the self care. And, and that to me is what community care is, you know, get, create in th- these environments, allow for rest, allow for joy. But that, that is not, that is not on the marginalized folks. That is on us folks. I'm talking my white friends. I'm talking my white peeps. We're out here getting all the privilege, getting to do all these kinds of things, not thinking twice about community care and, it's time to shift the narrative and when we think of community care i think community care is an interesting perspective in quarantine in general you know like you said we're getting really insular it's somewhat inevitable we are sitting by ourselves for most of the day and that's really hard that's hard on anyone we are you know social beings where we need our communities and so in this time that we are getting really insular and and thinking a lot more of ourselves you know I think it will really benefit all of us if we take some time to really think about community care and how we can implement it in a way that brings people up and truly allows for rest and joy. And I know we're going a bit in circles, but I just, I love this point. And I think it's not something that we would have necessarily gotten to um, in our own perspective without our quarantine experiences. So I like that we're touching on it and for context for whoever's listening we want this episode to kind of be an intro back into our podcasting. We have plans for the season around different topics, but we wanted to reflect a bit. Um, And I, and I think, yeah, this, the racism and and the chats about that and the (laughs) reckoning and how we move forward from it and, and the changes we've made internally and externally, I think that's a huge part of our quarantine reflection. And I'm really glad that we touched on that. Um, But one thing that we wanted to mention with going forward this season is firstly, we're going to try and have shorter episodes because we can talk anyone's ear off as it's clear like we, yeah, no one needs justification for that. But we want to touch on harder topics than we've touched on before. I think that's also kind of a, a reflection of where we're at with our mental health. Like for me particularly, I think I've always been a bit more nervous about touching heavier topics or scarier topics um and i feel a lot more equipped to chat about them now um and go there and so that's i'm excited i'm excited i mean i'm nervous but yeah i think i think that's a good next step for us right is to start talking about these like heavier things what do you think
0: yeah i I really think it's important that we don't just talk about some of the easier topics. Um, We're going to have a lot more content warnings for this season, I think. Uh, We're going to get into some trauma. Um, I know I will be talking a little bit about that. The the thing I want to say about that is, you know, we're not trying to create trauma porn here. We're not trying to tell some really sad sob story. I think what we're trying to do is shed some light on some of the harsher realities of not only being high functioning, but also, um, you know, the the darker sides of mental illness. And some of those can get glazed over Um, some of the conditions and symptoms and experiences that people have. For me, something like dissociation isn't talked about. We talk about anxiety, we talk about depression, and those are almost like the cutesy mental health conditions in a way. And I, I don't mean to minimize those, but we don't talk enough in the mental health sphere about conditions like psychosis, schizophrenia, bipolar disorder, borderline personality disorder. And well, we haven't experienced those conditions and we won't be able to speak to those, um, there are things we've experienced that aren't talked about uh, as much. Um, you know, we're, we're going to get into um, talking about suicide a little bit. And I think that's going to be an important episode for us because it's something we both know of. It's something we've touched on. It's something we've danced around. Um, but we two reasons for why we want to do that. One, really to show what it's like to talk about the realities of it. And two, to show how to safely talk about suicide. We talk about talking about suicide, but we're going to demonstrate how to do that safely. So, things like not talking about methods or um, describing attempts in detail, saying words like died by suicide versus committed suicide. Things like that are going to be really important. So, it'll be a bit of a uh, a guide for folks on, you know, how do I have these conversations? Um, we're going to And talk- even yeah.
1: Sorry, what I just wanted to say on the on the concept of safety around that is, you know, when we're planning for our suicide episode, I know for me I'm gonna make sure that I'm in a place that I feel comfortable, that I feel safe, because these are again hard things to talk about, hard things to listen to, and we wanna do it with the most amount of care, not just for our listeners, but for ourselves as well when we talk about these stories. So that's part of our kind of safety plan with it is making sure That we've checked in with each other, that we've checked in on the day of, the day before, that we're in places that feel comfortable, safe. Um, And that, of course, like Amira said, that we are using the appropriate language and setting a model for how you can talk about suicide. Because
0: we do need to talk about suicide. That is the reality. We we need to talk about it. And I also think, yeah, we're going to check in with each other, but also it's never going to be comfortable to talk about. We're never going to wake up one morning and be like, yeah, I totally want to do this episode, but that's exactly why we need to do it because there's that stigma attached. Once it gets easy to talk about all of the things that we want to talk about, we don't need to have this podcast anymore because those conversations will have been so normalized. So if there's ever a point where doing this feels easy, then, you know, I think that's wonderful. Like, it's kind of like not-for-profits where they want to do so much for their cause that they can, you know, they don't need to exist anymore. Uh, that's kind of the, the goal here. I mean, I don't think that this podcast is going to change the world by any means, but we can create a a, a better uh, environment, at least within our own social circles. Um, it's like the,
1: the Hinge slogan, designed to be deleted.
0: <laughs> oh, I like that. Right? We'll be like Hinge. Yeah. We'll be like Hinge. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> what has life come to? Uh, by the way, we're both still single, so.
1: Yeah, Hinge, do you want to sponsor us? Is that how that works? <laughs> is that like... how you find a
0: life partner? You just No, I'm just saying if there's any, like, really cute single ladies out there. Boys for me. Yeah. But, you know. Just one one I don't for know. each of us, please.
1: One for each of us. Brother, sister, pair. I don't know. Get us something. <laughs> We're lonely, but like dating in quarantine. And this is something also like could be part of our reflection today is we are in this like kind of secondary lockdown in Toronto right now. Yeah. And there was a big spike and the vast majority of individuals that were getting um, getting COVID, we saw two patterns. One, it tends to be in low income areas and areas who have uh, areas where a lot of people of color uh, live and that is systemic racism at its finest a clear example of how the way that the infrastructure in these areas and the accessibility to different resources in these areas um, have resulted in a huge discrepancy in in covid numbers and i'm not an expert in this i'm not a public health expert but i do i have read enough about city planning and history and all that to know that. That is systemic racism, but another, or not but, and another group that we see kind of spiking throughout these COVID times is our age group. Yep. Um, we see the like 18 to 30 or whatever it is. And at first there was this outrage, like, you know, of course the young people, of course the young people. But what it really showed and highlighted and what I read too, and I, I appreciated people out there taking this perspective was, our needs just aren't being met at all during this quarantine time in the way that many of us live by ourselves or we're living with like five roommates um, and we're lonely and there's an element of, you know, social interaction that we're really missing. And many of us don't have lifelong partners at this point yet. And how having that partner can really – provide you with the mental health care that can help you kind of follow these rules a little bit better. But I know I'm to blame as well. Like I've been out on dates and I've gone out and, and maybe been a bit more loose with the rules. And then when I feel like, uh, and, and that's, and that's a privilege in itself to be able to be a bit more loose with the rules. And then luckily I haven't gotten sick. And when you get home and you're like, no, no, I need to do all the quarantine stuff. You find yourself kind of going a little mad like i'm like i haven't spoke i've spoken to the same person all all day and that's my roommate shelby shout out to shelby we love shelby but love shelby love, and shelby. love shelby and her nachos <laughs> she's great at me she cooks for me all the time now this is yeah our new agreement. that's literally
0: the only reason that you're nourished at all is is because of shelby okay but here's true. here's the thing i i totally understand that our age group has social needs and a lot of us are alone. I live alone. I can count on one hand, the number of hugs I've had since March. And that's taken a serious toll on me. Yeah. It's been really difficult to not have connection, to struggle to connect with friends, to feel like I'm losing friends and like, just, it's been hard, but that's like, I'm going to sound like an asshole, but like, that's not an excuse. Like I'm, not, I'm, gonna, I'm, still not- I'm gonna
1: disagree with you there because I, I hear you I hear what you're saying and I just think that um when you look at these numbers like there's there's something missing right like we when you look at the patterns like and I don't know the perfect answer and, and I think we come down to this thing of like there's no perfect answer for COVID and quarantine right like there's a lot of unknowns and there's a lot of like why are these cases happening? Is it that a lot of us are actually in the work, like working and that, and that's which, a lot of it which too. Which is fair,
0: but I can also say that I've seen a ton of people being irresponsible at fair. bars, at fair. restaurants, fair. it's always people our age. And it's just selfish. And I'm gonna go back to community care because yeah, you might need that for your mental health, but you're not thinking of anyone else's physical health yes. and possibly mental health. Like it could literally kill people. And to be thinking short-sighted of, I'm sad, I need social interaction now, essentially at whatever cost is I I, I can't understand it and and I
1: get where you're coming from I think I have a little bit more um almost empathy for it because I when I'm thinking of my mental health not mental health needs but I know that I can feel very like when I get very anxious a lot of it is like I need it right now and I think we get into that mindset where we need it right now and it's it's a it's work to switch that mindset and and we're working on it and it's something i'm working on right now where it's like okay if i need to go like if the anxiety is going the anxiety is going and i need a distraction right now and if i don't get that distraction right now like you know i'm i'm i don't want to speak necessarily of uh (laughs) of where the brain goes because we'll talk about that but it can get incredibly overwhelming and incredibly heavy um, and I'm not saying, you know, then go out and, and go party on King Street. I've not touched King Street with like a 10-foot pole. <laughs> um, but I do think that it's it's had to – my self-care strategies are so intertwined with social interaction. Um, and to have to adjust that has been a very interesting and very hard thing. Uh, and so I think I have a little bit more space in that sense for – people who aren't thinking long term. And not to say that that's okay. I, d- I still don't think it's okay. And I think we need to be better at it. But in being completely honest and vulnerable, which is, you know, what we've set out for this for this podcast is there are plenty of times where I have not thought long term. And then you go home and you realize it, and you feel really guilty about it, and you realize like, fuck. And I've thought about like, well, what if I did get a positive COVID diagnosis and I've just been with my family and I've just been this, like, you know, you have those moments and then you're like, no, that's so not okay. Like that is so incredibly not okay. But I do just want to give space for the fact that it is a, for lack of better words, unprecedented time. And, and so many of us are just like, at least speaking for myself, self-care has had to change so dramatically. And I just feel like depleted all the time. And that's not an excuse to go out and party at all. But yeah. it is why I have a little bit more space for that age group of recognizing, like, what the hell is going on that we're so, you know, like, I just don't want to believe that we're all just like assholes who don't care. You know, maybe no, that's But I it. think it's
0: important. I, I think this this is so topical to not just quarantine, but even yes, Black Lives Matter and everything. It's we don't actually want to admit our selfishness and how much we can actually be assholes we really think of ourselves. And I think we kind of have to do that and be like, you know what? I only thought of me, whether that's okay or not okay or whatever, because sometimes you do need to just think of you. Um, But I always say, put yourself first, so long as you are not causing like malicious harm to someone else. And I don't mean like when you, when you put in a necessary boundary and that person doesn't like that boundary. I think that's completely different. But if you're just saying, well, I need to do this for me, I don't care who gets hurt in the process or your actions are saying that, then that's a problem. And I mean, I think there's also responsible ways like, okay, you need social interaction and you know, you and I are used to being high functioning. So we kind of want to be doing things and that's how we feel normal. Our sense of normalcy is connected to doing versus just being. Yes, And I, I, while I understand that, there are ways to be safer about it. So, okay, you need social interaction. Are you bubbling with these people? Do you all have the same yes. bubble? Yeah. Are you not going to very busy restaurants? Are you socializing outside? And for a lot of people, the answer is still no. So at that point, it's not its not like we're saying you can't have any social interaction. It's just be responsible about it. Yeah, And it's seeing the lack of responsibility about it. Or, you know, a lot of cases we're connected to... Large parties or yes. gatherings or weddings. The parties, and it's like-
1: I'm sorry. Ugh, it's just. Ugh, it sucks. It's just like parties. Why are we having parties, guys? oh it's so frustrating. But again, like, so I follow these science influencers on Instagram. Is that even a thing?
0: Oh, it's such a thing, especially during COVID. It's such a thing. Like real scientists or is this an influencer who is now a scientist? No,
1: no. They're science communicators. Like that's their job. And so, and they're real scientists. Yeah. They're like epidemiologists, neuroscientists, like just really, really badass people who are relaying data in a way that's a lot more tangible um, and digestible for people. And it's really great. One of them, uh, her name is Science Sam. Wow. If Science Sam ever listened to this, I would be like over the moon. She lives in Toronto and so she's the one who's been uh, who I've gotten a lot of my data from um, and she has been a science influencer. It sounds so like you know not as serious it is as it is, but she's actually a science communicator. she has her PhD like she's freaking badass. Um, I, I've gotten a lot of kind of information and data from her and uh, she speaks to this age group quite a bit and I think I I think my a lot of my perspectives come from, relating and understanding and uh, agreeing with a lot of her perspectives which is that we do which touches also on like the mental health crisis of this time and kind of relates that to the spikes in this age group and then also the fact that there are certain things that are kind of like out of our control like having roommates which a lot of us do or a lot of us work in restaurants um, or essential services like I do have friends who are going to work every single day which is uh, feel so weird right now because I don't have to go to work every day. And so, anyways, it's, I would really recommend that people follow these science influencers. I think they're, they give the information in a, in a way that's, like I said, digestible and it makes it feel less scary almost, but not even scary. It's like when we talk about this selfishness, I think a lot of the time we can be selfish because we're being blatantly ignorant. Like we're, we're, yep. it's a privilege to be selfish, right? Like it's, we can ignore the reality and we don't even need to. I like what you said that. You're not necessarily saying, um, you're not. You're not necessarily saying, "Oh yeah, I don't give a shit about anyone." But your actions are saying that. And mm-hmm. yeah, we don't need to. We don't necessarily think it. It's not like I'm going out there and I'm like, I'm gonna break my bubble because I hate people. Like obviously, that's not it. But my actions are saying that, right? And I and I think that. Um, oh gosh, I'm losing my train of thought. Selfishness. Um, it's in our actions. Oh, I think that. Reading the data, it perhaps in a digestible way, allows us to be faced with our selfishness. And that's what I've really enjoyed. Um, I haven't enjoyed it. It's, it's shit. But I think it's been a good perspective for me to find ways of digesting the data um, in a way that's not super overwhelming. Because the news is incredibly freaking overwhelming right now. It's really hard to watch. Um, but seeing that, and then you are forced to face your selfishness in a way that doesn't feel as like blaming and it is coddling. It's a hundred percent coddling, but it, um, at a time where like mental health is just kind of fucked that kind of slower. (laughs) Um, and and I know you're not necessarily going to agree with this, but it's just kind of a softer approach to the selfishness. And I think that hopefully it works. Like I think people do listen to these people and make these changes. Obviously we still have these crazy or not crazy, sorry, but we have these very like irresponsible situations that happen. But I don't know. I want, like, I feel like I've been a bit more like glass half full lately where I'm just like, yeah, like people are listening and people are like, and there's not that many irresponsible people. And like the few people I see on my Instagram stories, like they're not whatever, like they're not the norm and they're not the average. And and I don't know, I don't know, but um, for me, like looking at things a little more glass half full, has been definitely really helpful.
0: Yeah, for um, sure. I think optimism's like super key right now, and finding like those little things of hope where it's you know when cases are down or whatever, because it can be very doom and gloom. Um, and I, I think the number one thing for both of us is is we can see it however we want, but as long as we're trusting health experts. And going back to that, then I think I think that's the best thing we can do. Exactly. Um, shifting gears a little bit, sort of like the, the big final thing I wanted to like ask you in 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 this episode was. We Wait, are ta- you
1: asking the questions now? I'm this is great. A question now. Welcome I love it. To season two.
0: Welcome to charge. season two. Let's do this. Uh, was just so so. I think a little while ago we had talked a little bit about like how we feel about the the term high functioning and low functioning right? and what that means. So setting the tone for season two as still high functioning, we're not rebranding. Um, how, how is your perspective changed or altered or like what, like what is our now working, not definition, but I guess almost like a working context of mm. high functioning. So interesting that you brought this up. I forgot that we had talked about this before. Um, I remembered.
1: Yeah, we're switching roles here. That's great. Surprised I don't I have ADD anymore. <laughs> That's not how it works. <laughs> 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 we're supposed to give real and honest <laughs> views on mental health and mental illness. And not oh just like, I forgot oh, yeah, to wash just- the,
0: shampoo- the conditioner out of my hair a few days ago. Again. So <laughs> That's good
1: for your hair, though. Did you know that? You're supposed to leave some conditioner. In. I mean, it was pretty grody. Oh, uh, well, just don't put it in your scalp. In your scalp, scalp, scalp. Anyways, uh, actually, a f- funny thing I noticed while we were chatting is earlier when you said, you know, we're high functioning. I was like, oh, right. that That's why we started this. Like, that's why we started this to talk about our experiences having, you know, pretty severe and serious mental illnesses, but then also living this quite, quote unquote, typical uh, external life. And it just like, it almost didn't occur to me because this has been so much more of like, like you said, like almost a diary or, or a way for us to chat about our experiences. And so many of our experiences are just mental illness. Like they're not just, they're not this like, oh, we're, we're doing this from like this, like, like fancy lens of where we figured our stuff out and we're this and we're that. It's like, no, we're just like,
0: Puttering along—that's been my new favorite word lately. Puttering, puttering. Yeah, you love puttering now. I've yeah, been doing really puttering. We're not like on this pedestal of high functioning versus low functioning. Like, there's not yes. a hierarchy of like I'm high functioning. Like, fuck you. Um, it's more of uh, I think it's not necessarily that we are high functioning. It's we are often perceived yes as higher functioning than we necessarily feel or are. Yes. And we wanna
1: bring light to how that perception can impact our mental health, our mental illness, how we seek help. We came across a really interesting uh, kind of definition and context for high functioning. Someone uh, was saying that they, they really hate that term. Um, And that's what got us thinking about this context a bit more. Do you want
0: to dive into that? Yeah. I mean, so first off, high functioning and low functioning, a lot of its terms originate from folks um, with autism spectrum disorders. So children with uh, any of those... um, disorders are often described as high functioning or low functioning, and that somehow categorizes them as to what they can and cannot do. The term has since evolved and can be used for a number of mental health conditions, ADD. ADD is really when I like was connecting with a lot, but also in terms of like anxiety and depression, where um, I was going to school, getting good grades, getting a good job, socializing with friends, and then there was, it was a complete contrast from when I was alone and with my own thoughts and with my own trauma and my own struggles and that ability to mask I think high functioning isn't a personality trait it's a mask more than anything yes. else and I think that's what we want our big takeaway to be is that mm-hmm. like I think
1: there were times that we very much or at least speaking for myself that I very much identified with the high functioning and like you know I, I see these things now online of like what high functioning anxiety looks like like you are prepared and you have like a very strict schedule and you get all your things done on your to-do list and blah, blah blah but yeah i i'm i'm kind of moving also away i'd like to move away from this like praise almost that
0: i've given myself for being high functioning and instead yeah. Yeah, like, like i you said i still like, identify with it like i still identify yeah. with it but i'm not necessarily as like i have to be this way or as like proud in a yeah. way, like, it's not a badge of honor to have this mask and to not let anybody in and to not connect with other people or anything like that. Do you think
1: that quarantine has impacted our view of ourselves as high functioning?
0: I think quarantine has impacted my view of myself in every sense of the word. I mean, this I, is true. I, I think we've, you can probably see, at least with me, there's been some shifts in. Yep. Everything. Um Big shifts, little shifts, just, I think it's been a- Movement, just change. Yeah, yeah. um, Yeah.
1: I think for me, it's shifted because like you said, like so much of our high functioning kind of identity, for lack of better words, has very much come from doing instead of being. And my perfect days are ones where I'm like running around all day, you know, from place to place to place, like from class to work to this to that. And not having that, I'm like doing a lot of things that I would have perceived as, unfortunately, like low functioning, Um, taking naps during the day, not meeting deadlines, uh, having to work at odd hours, like things that I haven't done before and things that not doing those things gave me a lot of pride. I was like, oh, yeah, I have a total handle on my mental health because... You know, I reach all my deadlines and I I can get through the day and I don't need to take a nap and, and, you know, and then you kind of destroy yourself at the end or whatever it is. We've talked about this through and through, but I think it's given me during quarantine, like my, we keep talking about this. Everything's changed. Strategies have changed. Um, Perception has changed. I'm still the same in so many ways, the same person who wants to achieve that won't change. That's like an innate part of me. I, I love to achieve. I love to work hard, but in the way that I used to like run around and achieve. Now I'm like starting my day a little later, taking a nap halfway through the day, being more mindful of like what deadlines I can actually reach. and and yeah, that's kind of changed the definition of high functioning for me. i very much. So it's very different than what, when we, when we started this, I would say,
0: yeah, but that's so, not a bad thing. No, it's not a bad thing. I think it's, it's just a important great thing. context to have knowing going into season two. So now that we've set that, um, Thank you for joining us. Uh, I'm glad you're back. We're glad we're back.
1: We're glad we're back. Yeah.
0: All right. We'll finish us
1: off. What's our our ending line, remember? Oh, my God. Thanks
0: for tuning in. This has been High Functioning.
1: Perfect.
0: (laughs)